As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscali. Thanks for joining me here on this live room episode. We do this every single week before the upcoming Bills matchup. And it's a fun little exercise because I get to know what's on your mind, what's uh, maybe what the Bills are thinking in regards to what's on your mind, and, of course, the game at hand because this Upcoming one is a big one. The Bills are up against the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the team that ended their season last year. It's bigger for other reasons with the Bills returning to Cincinnati and Paycor Stadium for the first time since uh, since the DeMar Hamlin collapse on Monday Night Football on January 2nd. So there is a, a lot going into this game, but uh, certainly... The Bills and the coaches and the players, they're all trying to keep it as as much about the game as possible. So I'm sure uh, you've got a ton of questions, so by all means, submit them right into the chat area of uh, the Athletic app. And um, if you've this is your first time, go ahead and, and type that in. I will get to as many as I can over the next 40 minutes or so, and then we'll get to the game prediction for what's to come with this Bills and Bengals matchup. But uh, the Bills heading into this one 5-3, and three, and certainly the first of a lot of tough games here in a row. They, they get one week of respite after playing the 4-3 and three Bengals, but then after that, the schedule gets pretty heavy. They've got Denver on Monday Night Football the following game. Then they've got the Jets, who they lost to, the Eagles on the road, They've got a week in between the Eagles game and the Chiefs game on the road, the Cowboys, the Chargers, and then then even throw the Patriots on the top at the end there because the Bills just lost to the Patriots. So lots to uh, lots to think about when the Bills' upcoming schedule here. So that's why that game against Tampa Bay was so darn important. All right, let's get to some questions here. First one from Yard M, who writes, Will Rasul Douglas play? Rasul Douglas, if I'm, I'm sure most of you know by now, he was there trade deadline acquisition. It was one of their three acquisitions, uh, all done in different manners. This was of the trade variety. 
Douglas coming to the Bills for a third round pick and the Bills getting a fifth round pick in return uh, for uh, for that. So it comes out to around like a, a fourth round pick on, on the value chart from the plus minus. So in all, the Bills get a cornerback and I'll get into the specifics of why they made that move um, after I answer your question, Yard. But will he play? I think he'll dress if I had to guess. Um, he Keep in mind, yesterday was his first practice. And I, I mean, as we were there during the media viewing portion on Wednesday, Russell Douglas just walked out onto the practice field as the Bills were already in session. And he was not in pads or anything like that, uh, that all waited until Thursday. So it's a pretty quick track between Thursday or Wednesday night. If you, you want to, uh, if you think he really hit the playbook hard to a Sunday night game. Now, the thing that goes in favor of Rasul Douglas playing or at least dressing is the fact that he has a lot of familiarity in a zone defense, and that is where he's at his best. Uh, a lot of it is based on instincts, as long as you know the, the base coverages and you know playing hunches and things like that. That's that's where I think he can make up some ground here. But that said, there might be some nuances, and the one thing he brought up was like verbiage, where it means one thing where he just came from, and it means a completely different thing here in Buffalo. So there's going to be a bit of a learning curve, though I don't think this is a uh, a Naheem Hines situation by any stretch of the imagination. This is a this is a player that they are going to depend on heavily as he gets fully integrated into the lineup. And if I had to guess, and I actually would be shocked if this this were not the case that he would be entering the lineup for Dane Jackson. So what they might do, I think, um, is maybe they do some split series just to get him going a little bit. Maybe they give Dane Jackson the start, give him the first couple of series, and then work in Russell Douglas for one or two, and then just kind of have it by a feel thing as they're going on. Because you don't want to overload him, but you also know it's a giant upgrade as to what you have out there on the field with Dane Jackson, especially going up against a Bengals team that has had your number and has a passing offense that is humming right now and two dynamite boundary receivers. So that uh, that's part of... Uh, so that's why I think he'll be there, but to be determined as to how big his role will be. All right, next up, Comes from Grant, who writes, which free agent signing could have the best long-term impact in the season, Leonard Fournette or Linval Joseph? That's a tough question, Grant, and I appreciate it because I think when you look at the two potential roles, you know exactly the role that Linval Joseph is going to play. He's going to be an early down run stuffer. He's going to be hold two blockers at the point of attack, set up your linebackers behind you to to do well and go from there. I don't expect him to come off the field or don't expect him to stay on the field, I should say, when it comes to obvious passing down situations. I mean, he's a 
He's a 35-year-old, 330-pound, one-technique defensive tackle who's been brought in to do one thing, and that's to do the thing that none of the other defensive tackles outside of that Oliver on the roster can do, and that's to stop the run. So that, you know exactly what you're getting with him. But the reason why I like this question is because there is some sneaky potential here for Leonard Fournette's role to really grow. And he's starting out on the practice squad. That's very much part of the plan. I, I'm i not expecting him to be up for this game. I could be wrong, but I think it's probably a little bit too much too soon. And, you know, I, I, they do have three healthy running backs on the roster. So it's not as though it's like a, a roster crunch that it is at cornerback or an all-hands-on-deck situation that it is at defensive tackle to, to get a run stuffer in there. At running back, you have James Cook, who you know you can depend on. Latavius Murray, who you know you can depend on in pass protection, even if his short yardage stuff has not been great. So, wouldn't expect him to be up this week, but the following week, I think it's very much on, on the table. There's also this piece of the puzzle. The Bills could open up a roster spot with one of two ways for Leonard Fournette. That's either... You know, Ty Johnson is now, after this game, will be through his mandatory three game week checks as a practice squad call-up. So you could release him, hope to get him back down the practice squad, and then elevate Leonard Fournette into that spot. Or you could see what's going on with AJ Klein's tweaked back and maybe put him on IR in, in, favor, of, in favor of Leonard Fournette. So they've got some... some uh, avenues to add him to the 53-man roster. But the reason why I'll take Fournette in this question, Grant, is because we have seen their overall, I guess, lack of commitment to one specific player uh, in the backfield. James Cook has been the best runner by far, and still he is seeding snaps to Latavius Murray. Like I said, good pass protector. Really brings it in that area, and that's why you see him on on third down obvious passing situations. And they don't know that they can trust James Cook in that role, and they don't know that they can trust James Cook in uh, on the goal line to punch it in. So that's where Leonard Fournette kind of brings it all together, because not only are you getting a guy who can punch it in short yardage, who's still only 28 years old, on top of it, he's got a pretty solid pass catching resume so he can effectively be a much better Latavius Murray and with the pedigree that he has of being an effective player overall I could absolutely seeing like down the line maybe not him completely taking over the backfield or anything like that Um, James Cook is still going to be a a heavy portion of, of what they're trying to do but I could absolutely see a more even split as they get further into the season. And who knows? If they feel like they need tough yards, that's that might be a Leonard Fournette territory because they know he has done it. So a lot will depend on how he looks, obviously, but the hypothetical of him, I think, would yield potentially 
a bigger role than maybe what we'll see from Linval Joseph. But I don't want to downplay because I've been screaming for a defensive tackle for the last three weeks here. I don't want to downplay what uh, Linval Joseph's value could mean to them. But that's going to be on early downs and to help the linebackers. In all, if you're looking to outscore the opponent and your running backs, James Cook and Latavius Murray, don't quite have it, having Leonard Fournette in your back pocket, pretty good thing to have. So I'm going to go with Fournette for that question. Uh, it's it's uh, going to be a, a sneaky one as we get closer to the playoffs. But, but yeah, that, that's a good question. Thanks for that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Uh, next comes from Brad, who writes, Hey, Joe, do you think a game with more or fewer possessions benefits the Bills more? I'm going to say more possessions just because we have seen just from their offense just an overall lack of consistency, drive in, drive out. Like if they were an efficient group that can get down get down the, the field and get into the red zone because they have been really good in the red zone this season, then I would say, yeah, lessen the possessions. But more possessions, more opportunities to figure their stuff out and get past the the, the opponent's 40-yard line. I think that's that's kind of the point that's been holding them back a little bit here. So yeah, that's that's also an interesting way to think about it, but... Josh Allen is really good once he's getting into the flow of a game when he has a lot of opportunities. And if it's if he's only getting like 15, 20 to you know, 22, 23 pass attempts, I don't know that it's as effective as what uh what the Bills could be. If this was the Bills team from let's say, I don't know, 2020, when the offense really got off to a huge start or near the end of the the 2021 campaign heading into the postseason. That's that's when I would go with fewer possessions. But no, they need. I think they need a bunch of possessions. Even though they're going in this specific game, going up against a team that can put up a bunch of points. I wouldn't try and slow the game down against the Bengals. I'm I'm trying to get as many possessions as possible, many points as possible, because. Who the heck knows what it's going to take to win this game. All right, next up comes from Michael, who writes, The Bills didn't seem to make any changes after a rough start in the DeMar Hamlin game, getting blown out in similar fashion in the playoffs. What adjustments should they make for Sunday, and will they? I think, to a large degree, they already have. 
based on how they attacked the the offseason. They're, I think, the two areas that they really fell short in both of those games was being able to have the, the type of weaponry on offense to compete and go head-to-head with the with a team like the Bengals. And also, their defensive line, basically across the board in the playoff game especially, really failed them. And not only as pass rushers, but as, as run defenders. I mean, they were just kind of bowled over a bit. And that was, if you recall, that was the first time that the Bills had played a game without Daquan Jones, and they didn't know what the heck to do. Like they were, they were just getting crushed in that area, and you know I don't think it's necessarily uh, a coincidence that the Bills are bringing in a 330 pound run stuffer and just paid him nearly four million dollars to do it uh, the week before the Bengals game, based on what we saw last year. So I think they have addressed those those areas, and those are some of the adjustments we're talking about now. Josh Allen is going to really have to be on it because Lou Anarumo, uh, the Bengals defensive coordinator, is excellent in how he schemes up his uh, his guys from a week-to-week basis and how he now how he kind of changes some stuff up every once in a while. I mean, that's it's tough for a team to um, to prepare for. But the Bills have added a bunch of the pieces that they desperately needed last year that that held them back. You know, you can you can even put Gabe Davis and a healthy ankle into this discussion, but Dalton Kincaid is a huge, huge piece of the puzzle as to how they're they're they could potentially get a bit closer to the Bengals in this one, having the best offensive line that they've had since Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean came to town. You know, that's that's my opinion. Through the first eight weeks, they have been really good almost every single week. That's another big piece of the puzzle. And then having a deep roster of defensive linemen to try and take advantage of the Bengals' offensive line, that all that all plays into it. So those are the adjustments that, that they made to try and not only get over the hump against Kansas City, but get over the hump against Cincinnati. And we'll see if that actually comes to fruition here. Okay. Next up comes from Joe or Devin. Joe, I was reading the question. Joe, what are your thoughts on the impact of roster additions for this stretch of the season? And he says, any gut feelings on the return of Milano and Daquan Jones? Does a lack of action at linebacker increase hope for Milano? I'll I'll address the the last part first because I'm sure that's what people are are most interested in. Um, I don't have a good gut feeling on on either of those guys. If I had to guess, I would say that of the two, Daquan Jones might be the one to uh, potentially come back sooner just because the injury. But then again, we don't exactly know what the Matt Milano injury is, even though we have asked Sean McDermott and the Bills about for those specifics. And he's kind of said can I call it lower, lower body injury, like in hockey? And, you know, it's the, the specificities of the, of the injury are not terms he's familiar with. And so he didn't really go into it, but be it as it may, 
I don't have a gut feeling that either of those guys will come back. I think they're probably holding on to hope that one will. But are they banking on it? It doesn't exactly seem like it. Like usually Brandon Bean, when he's speaking, will give like a little sliver of of hope when when talking about that sort of things, those sort of things. But this one just, it wasn't, he didn't really shut the idea down, but he just genuinely had, had no clue as to this point in time. And it's not as though they're, they're trying to hold the secret for the end of the season because they need all the help they, they can get to get to the playoffs and potentially win a Super Bowl. But, uh, but yeah, they, they have generally been a bit more forthcoming than, than that. And also there are usually signs when a player is getting close and I haven't seen signs for either of those players just yet. They have been visible, but not in the realm of returning to action. So to be determined on that, I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you, Devin. I think it's it's completely up in the air at that point. And then as to the roster additions, I think Razul Douglas will be very important to them because not only from a short-term but a long-term perspective, and we kind of talked about this a bit in the in the uh, episode ahead of the Buccaneers game and as to why maybe the whole notion of cornerback could be the play at the deadline, that is, over defensive tackle just because there's a big old uncertainty when it comes to Tredavious White. We do not know what he is going to be when he comes back from a, a torn Achilles injury, his second long-term injury over the last three seasons. And will he be the same player? How long will it take him to get back from it? Because on, a, on his torn ACL, it took him almost an entire calendar year to get back on the field in game action. And he wasn't his same the same player when he first got back. He slowly started to get closer to that. And even this year, Tredavious White was not the same shutdown player that he was before the torn ACL. So I have a lot of questions about that and about what he'll look like next year and when he'll be able to come back. On top of the fact that he's only got a couple years left in his deal, and if the Bills really wanted to, they can get out of that deal and with a post-June 1st uh, designation, they can make that a cap savings in 2024 of around $10.4 million. And that is substantial, especially when you've got these rising cap costs for a lot of these older guys. That's a big chunk. So not to get too far down the looking ahead here, but I think that's why Rasul Douglas was important because not only does he help you tremendously in the short term as a proven zone defender, exactly to a T what they're looking for in a zone defender. It's what they've been trying to find in the draft, but have been kind of falling short. Tall, six foot two, big, 210 pounds, long arms over 32 inches. I think it's 32 point and, and three eighths. I think that's the longest arms on the team, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to check Christian Benford, but 
they know that they are going through a a stage where Dane Jackson has been someone that they have depended on in the past, but he has also been someone that has been picked on by opposing teams. So having that there really plays into the strength of their defense. Getting Douglas in for, for Jackson plays into the strength of allowing the pass rush more time to get to the quarterback. Because if you are playing way off like Dane Jackson tends to do, because you have to out of self-preservation, then there's going to be a lot of that underneath stuff and the quarterbacks can get the ball out quickly. And even when you don't, and you, and you get down the field and you don't get a, some good physicality with, with the receiver, it has been proven over the past season and a half that players can go up over the top and win over Dane Jackson. It's happened time and time again. So Douglas conceivably changes that entire um, that entire picture. Because now you've got someone who can play closer to the line of scrimmage, can get more physical, is bigger, is a great tackler, all of these different things. He knows how to work well within his own defense. Takes pressure off Christian Benford. Takes pressure off the pass rush to get there quickly. And really helps the entire situation. So I'm going to go with Rasul Douglas being potentially their most impactful. Because it can help them in the long term. Because as we know, they can have... The greatest back seven known to man, and they, they've had some really good back sevens over the years. But if you don't have that pass rush that can get home on that quarterback, it's just not gonna not gonna work for you, especially in the playoffs. That's why Rasul Douglas is important. Next comes from EJW. He writes, Do you expect the no huddle offense to be a continuing trend this week for the Bills? I would expect that the Bengals are prepared for it. And they utilized the no huddle against Tampa Bay to catch them off guard. And it's not one of those things that you can continue to go to week in and week out. But with this Bills team in general and the fact that they had some offensive success, I'm I'm probably going with some similar some similar tendencies as last week until the Bengals show that they can absolutely stop it and they can absolutely deal with it. So yeah, the no huddle, and it goes to one of the the prior questions about you know more or fewer possessions. The answer is more with with this specific Bills offense. Well, yes, it gives the Bengals more chances on the field, gives yourself more chances to to help uh, to help get past them. And if your defense can just limit the Bengals to some field goals, and you're allowing your offense to to get in the end zone a bit more than they have in recent weeks, then, then yeah, it, it all it all helps the situation. So I'll say it will continue, maybe not to the same degree. We'll see some of that that sugar huddle uh, stuff that that they've liked over the last week, but but yeah, they I'm expecting a lot of eleven personnel again. I'm expecting a lot of Dalton Kincaid uh, on the field. I'm expecting. Really a lot of Khalil Shakir on the field. Maybe a bit higher of a role for a guy like Deontay Hardy who has the ability to 
take the top off a defense, not even when he's thrown the ball, but just his speed in general, because teams respect it. Maybe he'll have a a bit of a a higher role in this one, but, but yeah, I, I would expect it to continue. Scott writes in, what do you think about Bean's point that Elam has been hurt? It seems like maybe him being inactive has more to do with that than performance. I disagree, Scott. Um, I think the injury is somewhat convenient. I will not, I will not downplay the fact that he did have a bit of an injury, and I believe he missed a practice. I want to say week five or so, but that injury came after he was a healthy scratch through what was it, the first four games of the season, like. The writing was on the wall for Kair Elam quite a bit ago. They value a lot more. They value Christian Benford a lot more than him. They value Dane Jackson a lot more than him. Kair Elam was not sniffing the lineup unless one of those two guys were injured. And that should be as big of an indicator as any. So while, yes, has been dealing with an injury, over the last maybe like three weeks, three games. And that could explain some of the healthy scratch stuff. They also dressed him against, what was it? The the Patriots. He played in that game. He was a special teams guy. I think he got like maybe five or six kickoff coverage snaps. So it's not as though they were like, oh, well, can't really uh can't really use him because he's injured. I'm of the belief that they want just kind of a restart for for this guy. And this from right right from the get-go from the spring you could tell that it was going to be tough for Kyir Elam. It didn't look great in spring workouts. That carried over into the summer when he didn't get first team reps until like day four or day five of, of training camp, Christian Benford and Dane Jackson were clearly ahead of him at that point. Then by the time the end of the preseason was there, he was getting reps well into the second half of preseason games when Benford, Tredavious White, and Dane Jackson were all shut down for quite some time before that. He was a distant fourth in in the cornerback depth chart and that shouldn't be discounted here so that healthy scratch that was the first four games before Tredavious White got hurt those were legit healthy scratches why he why he was inactive then he has a bad game against the Jaguars really gets picked on completely I think it was the the Giants game if I'm not mistaken is the one where he he got a little hurt. I'm trying to remember. I, I think that's the one. Um, so maybe that could have played into the last one, but still. They knew that they needed a little bit of a better backup option behind Dane Jackson and Christian Benford. It's the reason why they went out and they signed or they traded for a cornerback. They knew that they needed 
an overall better picture on that cornerback room. So yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. That's the sole reason that he uh, he was scratched this season. I think there was a lot of intent there that he just wasn't a part of their plan. All right, next up comes from Michael B, who writes: Are you concerned about Von Miller not looking like himself so far, or do you expect him to get back to form later in the season? If he never returns to form, would that make the signing a mistake? In hindsight, of course. That's an interesting question, Michael. I think the answer to will he get back to form is an unknown. I do want to see what happens when he gets the brace off because you can just tell he is not dialing up the same moves as he did last year. Like that bend around the edge is just not a part of his game right now. He's still trying some dip unders and he's still trying some uh, to slap away the, the hands of the offensive linemen. He's trying to bull rush a bit more, but it just hasn't been effective in, in all his snaps. And it's a, it's a difficult conversation because this is a guy who is getting near the end of his career. They knew the risk of the signing for not only declining play, but possible injury, because that tends to happen. I mean, Von Miller is 34 years old. He's going to be turning 35 in March. It will be quite... My bigger question is, did he come back a little bit too early? And that's something I have always wondered, especially when you want this guy to be at his... Tip top, <laughs> especially heading into the postseason. I'm sure there was some pressure from Von Miller wanting to play. He kind of put a uh, his own timeline on the whole thing throughout the entire process. And if you've listened to this show before, um, you'll know that I view Von Miller as probably the most optimistic player in a press conference setting that I've ever come across. And sometimes it doesn't always come true, but he's optimistic about his outlook. But it also seems like he's being realistic about what where he's at right now. Like when he got six snaps against the Patriots, that was kind of jarring because he had gotten over 20 snaps the, the week before that. And it might have been because it was tight down the stretch and the Bills needed a spot and they didn't know whether or not they could depend on him as a run stuffer. Like, that's that's their mode right here. It's either they're up a bunch, they're getting him time on the field and uh, to be able to play on those first and second downs, or he's kind of like a rotational pass rush only, pass rush only player. So I don't know if... He'll get back to form. I don't know if he will look like the same player as he did last year. That's the risk you run when you have an older player and he's coming off now a long-term injury. His second long-term torn ACL of his career. If there's one person that I will not, uh, you know, discredit the potential of doing it, it's Von Miller because just just a genetically gifted 
human being to be able to do the things that he did, even at the age of 33 last year, and how impactful he was on a week-to-week basis before that injury. So I'm not discounting his ability to do it, but it is a major question mark for the rest of the season because they are depending a lot on Greg Rousseau, who still looks like he's a little banked up, and they're depending a lot on Leonard Floyd, who has been their best pass rusher this season, their best overall defensive end this season. And a lot more has gone on the plate of A.J. Epinesa because Shaq Lawson's level of play has drifted downward this season too. So from this humongous strength early on in the year and knowing like, hey, Von Miller's coming back, it's now kind of up in the air. I do wonder if he would have benefited if like, like maybe he starts his practice window around now as we're getting closer to that one-year timeline where he can start to get that brace off. But yes, that, that's going to be the, the ultimate for me. What? How does he look? What kind of moves does he make once he, he goes to a smaller brace? And will he be comfortable enough to make the moves that he used to once he gets to that point? But we're not there yet. So to be continued on that. Todd writes in, if Khalil Shakir continues this upward trajectory slash production, what happens to the Dawson Knox snap counts when he returns? I don't think it will ultimately impact Dawson Knox in a grand degree. I think the the thing that might impact Dawson Knox more than anything is the uh, just the, the level of play that we have seen from Dalton Kincaid over the last two weeks. And specifically this past game when he had a full tight end one role, played 84% of the snaps, and he was outstanding. The way that he reacted to plays, his athleticism, uh, just his natural playmaking instincts, some run after catch too. Like it all worked with Dalton Kincaid this past week. But there, that said, they still view Dawson Knox as a big piece of the puzzle here. So I would expect them to kind of drift back into around that 30 to 35% of of uh, 12 personnel that they had kind of settled in at before Dawson Knox's injury. And then from there, I would anticipate uh, maybe we see a little bit more of a share when they're in 11 personnel between those two guys. Could I mean, even in the, the last game where both Knox and Kincaid were healthy, we saw 12 personnel kind of dwindle because that first game they were in it over 60% of the time. They they haven't come close to that since the first week of the season. Since then, it's been under half of of their overall percentage of, of snaps. So what I what I think will happen is Shakir will, as long as he continues this this trend, I mean, and it's not even just this past week, he has been a really good player for them over the last, I want to say, month of the season. And you could slowly see him gaining more confidence and having and them more confidence in him with his level of snaps bumping up. So what I could see is maybe him getting the lion's share of 11 personnel snaps between him, Deontay Hardy, and, and Sherfield, and then seeing the Dawson Knox and Kincaid split in 11 personnel 
become a little bit more even than it was. But love the love the uh, thought provoking question. All right, we've got time for one more before we get into the prediction portion, and because Sean McDermott is about to speak about who will be out um, after after I get done recording this episode, which is on Friday, just a little bit before 11 a.m., and then practice begins at 11.45. So one more question, so I'll find a good one. We'll go with Matt, who writes, how reliable are the current linebackers in Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dodson and, de facto, Jordan Poyer? So if you're unfamiliar with their strategy at, at this point, from what we saw against the Buccaneers, it's Trell Bernard out there in a every single snap role as the middle linebacker, Tyrell Dodson out there on first and most second downs because there is more of a threat to run on those downs, and third and shorts to sometimes third and medium. And then once the offense is in third and medium to third and long, they'll take Tyrell Dodson out. They'll bring Jordan Poyer down the linebacker and they'll bring Taylor Rapp into the game as a safety. It basically boils down to what do you trust more? Do you trust Tyrell Dodson on third down passing situations or do you trust Taylor Rapp on third down passing situations? And I, 10 times out of 10, am taking Taylor Rapp in that, that debate. But I will say Tyrell Dodson has added value as a run defender. I think he is solid in that area. It just, he overcommits and that's that's his thing. And that's why he can't be out there on passing downs or else they're going to be in a bit of trouble. So I think it raises the level of their run defense. And I want to see how he does when he has a, a, a bigger run stuffer like Linval Joseph in front of him. So that that all works. And then on top of that, taking him out, and bringing Jordan Poyer down to linebacker, I think has been excellent for this stage of Poyer's career. He really thrived in that role against Tampa Bay. Really saw a lot of good reps from him. And that was, I think for me, Jordan Poyer's best game of the season. And even though it's a slightly different role, I think uh, this this can be sticky if... They are willing to commit to this as long as Tyrell Dodson continues to prove that he's a solid enough run-stuffing linebacker. But Poyer's a little bit slower when he's in that intermediate middle. He doesn't have to be as dependent on to um, be over the top and kind of see the entire field and get to places that maybe he doesn't have the speed to get to anymore. can kind of keep it a little bit more localized with him. And I think that has helped him. So the state of the current linebackers... Bernard has been above average, I'll say, this season. And that's that's a win for them compared to what it could have been. Dodson, in his role last week, I think was above average. When you're asking him to play in every snap role, no bueno. And Dorian Williams, while you would like to see him get the time out there, you you could kind of tell that the opponents were were trying to pick on him a little bit. And he was getting a little bit uh, ahead of himself. 
and it resulted in some big plays. So he's just not there, not there yet. That said, if this whole song and dance with the Tyrell Dodson, Jordan Poyer linebacker split combo doesn't work or the Bills suffer an injury at safety, then I think they're going to have some problems. Or maybe it's a sub in Dorian Williams at linebacker for uh, for Tyrell Dodson on obvious pass down situations. So like a lot of the things with their roster right now, it's a bit of a to be determined, but I will say I liked what it, what it looked like in, in that last one. I, I actually, on my all 22 review that posted this week over at the athletic, I wrote that, or I wanted to fit in that. I really liked how the Dodson Poyer combo kind of fit in there. It just, I didn't have enough, it didn't have enough space for it. So, uh, but it's, a, it was good enough for them to think that they could work with it moving forward. How will it look against the Bengals and Joe Burrow and not Baker Mayfield? <laughs> we'll, we'll see on Sunday night. All right. Thank you for all your questions. Let's get to the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour, which of course is a staple of the pregame show. The Bills going into this game, two-point underdogs. The uh, the line or the total on the game is 49 and a half. I will take the Bengals to win this game. I have seen a lot of growth from them. Their defense is playing at a, a pretty good level and shutting down some, some really good players. And more than anything, I just haven't seen the Bills do enough against this specific team to prove that they can have the type of offense to get ahead of Joe Burrow and company, coupled with the struggles that the Bills have had on offense over the last month of the season. And even though they they got back on track against Tampa Bay, there were still a lot of missed opportunities. They probably should have absolutely crushed the Buccaneers and gotten into the 30-point the range. Um they just they just flat out missed. They they got stuffed at third third and one, fourth and one at, at the goal line. That's missed points later in the game. Missed opportunities to continue drives. Not having that level of sharpness is to me potentially what could hold them back in this game. So I'm gonna take the Bengals to win. I'm gonna take the Bengals to cover slightly. I do think this will be a pretty closely contested or more of a closely contested game than it was. So I'm going to take the Bengals to win this one by a score of 26 to 23, which means I will barely take the under because the total's at 49 and a half points. And I've got 49. So Bengals to win Bengals to cover, Bengals to cover and I'll take the under. All right. That's going to do it for me. Uh, thank you all for participating and listening to this live room episode of the Buffalo beat podcast. We'll be back after the Bills take on the Bengals in Cincinnati. Should be quite a scene and should be quite a game. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and that's when we will talk to you next time. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you after the game. See you then.